take your Bibles now, if you would, and let's open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Today, we are studying, once again, one of the most important Bible passages. We're studying from the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been here for several months as we've been talking about these great teachings of Jesus, where Jesus reveals some very profound truths about life and his kingdom. The people that Jesus was speaking to were very religious people, some of the most religious that you would meet anywhere at any time. In fact, if you were to compare their devotion to their religion to ours, uh, we would just have to say we lag very, very far behind what these people did in their worship. And yet for all the dedication that they had, they were very sadly mistaken. They had a mixed up, perverted theology. They had perverted the word of God and and... They were in such a deplorable state when Jesus came that they claimed that they knew the true God, but their hearts were really far from him. And so in this sermon, Jesus uh, corrected different aspects of their worship. And what he actually does as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he really reorients their entire thinking. Jesus taught them that the laws of God had no power to save. The law is intended to show that we are sinners and We need righteousness that's far beyond our own capabilities. The law actually demands perfection. And whenever we look into uh, the perfect law of God, and we look into that mirror of God's word, we really do find out all of the imperfections that we have, just how far short we fall of God's glory. And so the Sermon on the Mount was given by Jesus to actually bring us to our knees, to a place where... We would ask for God's mercy and his grace to deliver us from sin and to save us from sin's penalty. And that's accomplished by not keeping the law, because that's something that we could never do. But we might turn to Jesus Christ, who is the one who actually kept God's law perfectly for us. And so Christ has given us his righteousness. We receive that by faith when we trust him. The perfect righteousness of Christ is given to us, and that is what enables us to come into God's kingdom. The primacy of God in salvation is is evident in every phase of worship. And Jesus wants to make sure that we do understand that. He's talked about three different areas of worship in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about prayer, and he talks about uh, giving, and he speaks about acts of devotion. Whenever we give, we give because God has worked in our hearts. And every gift that we're able to give to others is one that has been enabled by God. And so when we give, we never want to draw attention to ourselves. All of the focus goes back to God himself because he's the one who is our provider. And when we think of acts of of devotion to God, we also don't do those in order that we might draw attention to ourselves. But we do this because doing these kinds of things are just like the holy and righteous character of God. And whenever God's people act like God acts or acts like Jesus acted with his ministry, then we are glorifying God. Jesus explained those two types of worship about praying, about these acts of devotion in chapter 6. But he also deals with something else here that's uh, the, really the most important part of worship, and that is prayer. Prayer is worship to God in relation to deity, and that really ought to show us how much that prayer stands out above all other forms of worship. So communicating with God is actually our highest form of worship. And whenever you come into the presence of the holy God of this universe, almighty God, you must be aware that there are certain protocols that have to be observed. 
And that's what Jesus is doing as he gave the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He gives very special instruction about prayer. Now, today I could take you through many different prayers that we find in the Word of God. We could talk about how different people prayed and examine their prayers. But if I really want you to know how to pray and how God can bless you in your prayers, I need to take you to the very place that is so definitive and so set forth in such a way that that it magnifies God in so many ways and glorifies God in so many ways that that would be the place where we learn everything that we need to know in our approach to God in prayer. You see, you can't improve upon what God has to say about prayer because if there's anyone who knows how to talk to God, it's God. Jesus Christ is God. And whenever he was asked by his disciples to teach them to pray, he spoke almost these identical words that we find in Matthew chapter 6. So I can't improve upon that. And so what we're doing here in these messages is we're breaking down the Lord's Prayer into each of the different phrases that Jesus said, and we're trying to find out the really deeper meaning behind those phrases. And my attempts, I admit, are feeble at best. Uh, this, this prayer is, is, is so magnificent, just so deep with meaning, that we can't take it here in just a few messages and really understand it all. But we are trying to learn something from it, and we are trying to learn how that we can contact God in a better way and how we can get our prayers answered. So that's what we've done. We've broken the prayer down. So let's read this prayer again, and then we're going to look into verse number 11 and this one specific line that we have there where Jesus talks about giving us, uh, praying for that God would give us our daily bread. So let's stand, and we'll read the prayer once again. As I've said so many times, everyone is familiar with this. You've quoted it many, many times. You've read it many, many times. But we're going to read it once again. I want it to sink down into your heart so you're very much aware of what we need to learn. In verse number 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Fathers, we open up this text once again today. I just ask you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be here. You'd bless the words that are spoken so that we might have a better understanding of the particular phrase that we want to talk about today. Lord, we just ask you for a blessing. We ask you just to be with your people as we preach this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the exposition of this prayer, I've broken it down to eight different areas of study, eight different topics. The relationship of prayer is found in the phrase, Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name is the reverence of prayer. Thy kingdom come is the rule of prayer. Thy will be done is the rapport of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, that is the resource of prayer. Forgive us our debts is the repentance of prayer. Lead us not into temptation is righteousness in prayer. And then finally, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory is the respect of prayer. Now our subject today is what we find in verse number 11 where Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. And what we find here is actually the first petition in this prayer that actually asks for something for the one who is praying. 
Before we ever get to these our petitions, asking God for what we want, we first have to go through these thy petitions. And those are the petitions that make God preeminent in our prayers. Uh, We ask that God's name would be holy and be lifted up. That is the reverence of prayer. We ask God that the rule would come of his kingdom. And that is where we are submissive to God as his subjects of the kingdom. We must submit to God before we can pray to him properly. We pray that God's will would be done. And that's the rapport of prayer. And that means that we are in agreement with God with whatever thing that he should do. And we recognize that sometimes God's will may affect us adversely. We think so at the time. But we do understand that God's will is always best for his creatures. Now, we note that the thy petitions begin the prayer. And we do this because we recognize that prayer is first and foremost for God's glory. But then after those thy petitions, we come to the second part of the prayer, and this is the our petitions, and the first one is about God giving us our daily bread. And so we come to these petitions and we think, well, now is the time to think about us. Now is the time for us to come to God and ask what we want. But even in these petitions, we should recognize that when God grants them, that what God is actually doing is putting on display his wonderful mercy, his grace, his compassion upon those who are his children. Prayer is actually God's opportunity to put himself on display. It's never about what we can demand from God, but it's always about God's willingness to give and to share with us. And so we begin these our petitions with this phrase of Jesus in verse number 11, give us this day our daily bread. And in that request, we understand the source of our resources. Last week, that was the topic of our message, the source of our resources, and I explained how that we have truly become a very much independent people. In America, there is so much wealth, there is so much food that is grown, there are so many stores, there are so many farmers, there are so many resources that we have begun to think that the source of everything that we have is actually ourselves, and we're the ones who have actually made America great. And so we sit down and we eat, and we don't give it very much thought about where our meals come from. We think that it's our right to eat, and we're much more likely to think, God, help me to stop eating, than we are, where is my next meal coming from? And so there's really not much thankfulness when we eat our daily bread, because we really are not thinking about the source of all of our food. When Jesus said, give us, he was not making a demand. But in that statement, there was an acknowledgement of the source. It must be given to us. Give us acknowledges that everything that we have comes from God as a gift. Now, you may think that you work for what you have and that it's your right to, uh, to own what you have. They're your possessions. Your labor is your right. But God can make things as such that your labor, everything that you do, amounts to nothing. You see, when Israel decided they weren't going to acknowledge God as the source of all that they had, and when they said, we're not going to obey God and we're not going to thank you, the results of their labor became not fruitful but became fruitless. We read this in Haggai 1, verse number 6, where God says, Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. So we have to recognize that everything comes from God. Our food is from God. God's favor is upon us in order to supply all of our needs. And the place that we run into trouble 
is when we begin to dishonor Jehovah God. When we don't recognize that our God is the only God, He's the only true God, then we begin to lose the resources that God provides. See, God created the world and He provided the world with abundant resources. Everything that we need is here on the earth. God promised that He would multiply us, and He told Adam that and Eve to go out and to multiply, and of course God would give them everything that was necessary to fulfill that command. And so God has placed abundant resources upon this earth, but we find when man turns away from God and he begins to worship false gods, that the resources that God has promised begin to dry up. And we can look across the world and we can see how that's happened. In many nations where they don't worship true Jehovah God, when they don't recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can get to heaven, and that God is the creator and God is the one who provides, when we push God out of the way, that's when we begin to lose God's resources. And so we look around the world and we see countries that are worshiping false gods, and many of those countries are actually starving. While they do have resources in the land, there's plenty there that God has provided for them, but they just can't get at it because God won't let them. They don't worship him, and so God takes away the resources. Now, if you didn't get to hear that part of last week's message, then uh, I hope you get a chance to review that because it truly is remarkable how that God has promised to give us all the resources that the world will ever need, and God will give us enough to keep us here just as long as God desires. Man is not going to be the one who destroys the world. Man is not going to be the culprit in his own demise. God is the one who's going to take care of the world. Everything that we have comes at God's hand, and when this world is ready to go, God will withdraw that, and then the resources will be gone. So I do hope you understand that first part of this, and we spent quite a bit of time talking about how God is the source of all of our resources. But I want to move on today, and I want to show you once again how this prayer that Jesus gave is so masterfully crafted. I want you to notice, secondly today, the sequence of the resources. Now, after we've read those first three petitions of the prayer, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, those three petitions draw our hearts to the great God of this universe. I mean, the one that we're actually unable to see with our eyes, but we do know that he exists through the eyes of faith. We see the evidence of God everywhere. His fingerprints are all over the creation. And those of you that are saved, you know that God is alive because he lives in your heart. And so that's a great spiritual exercise, just to look at those first three uh, petitions that Jesus gave in the Lord's Prayer, because there God is glorified and he's magnified. And so then it would seem natural to us, or maybe the word should be spiritual, that it seems spiritual to us that when Jesus moves into the next part of this prayer, that he would deal primarily with the spiritual man. I mean, wouldn't he see fit that the spiritual man is taken care of and that man is built up spiritually so he can become like God or worship God in the right way? And since that is obviously the most important part of man, the spiritual side of man is the most important because the body dies, the body goes into the grave, it exists for a short amount of time, but the spiritual man lives on forever and ever. Well, wouldn't we think then that Jesus would move us immediately into the spiritual? And so I suppose that we would think that Christ would deal with petitions concerning the spiritual man. Now, rest assured of this, Jesus will deal with the spiritual. And we do know that coming up after this, when we get through this part of the prayer, there are going to be places where Jesus says, lay up your treasures in heaven. 
Keep working for heaven or working for the the treasures, the rewards that you can receive in heaven. And Jesus will tell us, you don't need to be anxious for your food. You don't need to worry about things like that. I've already got that under control. I'm taking care of that. And we're going to find that Jesus will say those things. So why then, right after moving out of the thy petitions and speaking about the holy God, why does Jesus go on to this part, give us this day our daily bread? You know, I'm sure if the disciples were teaching this, they wouldn't have done it this way. It's not the place that they would have started. As a preacher of the gospel of Christ, I can assure you that if I was the one who was giving the Lord's Prayer, I wouldn't probably not deal with the physical man at all. Instead, I'd say, you need to take care of the spiritual. You see that your spiritual man is right, and then God will make sure that the physical man is taken care of as well. But Jesus doesn't do that. He does speak about the physical first. So why does he do it? Well, first, I would say, because the material does matter. The material is actually a concern for God. He has creatures, and he knows that those creatures can't survive unless God should give them the material. And I don't think it could be any more clearly seen than on the day when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Remember the story how that these people followed Jesus, and he preached to them, and Besides the women and the children, there were 5,000 men that were there, probably a multitude of possibly even ten to 15,000 people. And Jesus preached to those people. And when he was finished with that, the disciples became very concerned about all of them. It was probably getting towards dark, and none of them had anything to eat. And that's when Jesus took that little lad's lunch And he took five loaves and two fish, and he began to break it, and he multiplied it, and he was able to feed all of those people and then have plenty of food that was left over. And that shows us that Jesus ministered to the physical. He took care of physical needs as well as spiritual. And I think that is something for us to understand. See, we're facing some very tough times right now. People have lost jobs. The economy is bleak. People are moving away. Jim Love is moving away. And uh, people are looking for better opportunities, other things in other places. And you really do need to know this. God does understand the physical. He understands the needs that we have. And God also knows that before he could ever get anything spiritual from you, he has to first nourish the physical man. You need to survive. God has a purpose for you. And you can't fulfill God's purpose, obviously, unless you survive. And so that's why he tells us, well, you really don't need to be anxious for material things. Uh, I will provide for you. I promise to provide because if I don't, then it defeats my purpose for you. You'll starve to death. And then how am I going to use you then? And so the, the perfect progression of the prayer is seen here so that we see asking for the physical and dealing with the material is not out of place for Jesus. So he says then, pray for what you need. And in that expression, give us, is this built-in thankfulness of knowing that God is the one who shows favor upon us, and God shows up in every meal that we eat. I want to show you something else about this. If you take your Bibles now and turn over to the book of James for just a moment, here we find proof that God truly is concerned with material needs. Now, if you are concerned about it, it could actually show how much or how spiritual that you are when you look at physical needs. Now, I want you to notice James chapter 1, verse number 27 first. It says here, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted 
from the world. Now there, uh, James gives us the spiritual side of religion. Pure religion amounts to obeying God and displaying God's righteous character in our lives. Now, if you go over to chapter 2 in verse number 14, he says here, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? And actually, the reading there is, can that kind of faith save him? A kind of faith that doesn't produce works. If a brother or sister, verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it have not works, is dead being alone. Now you see what is being taught here. Now, you might have a little bit of trouble making the connections here, but what God is doing is modeling the order of the Lord's Prayer. How would you know that God is good if he didn't provide for you materially? Now, the example that James uses here is that what what if you see someone who's in need of food and shelter, and you're this great spiritual person, and you walk by that person, you pat them on the head, and you pronounce a blessing on them, and you say, well, go be warmed and filled and yet you don't give them anything to help them with that. James is saying, what if God is like that? What if God talks about how great that his name is and how great that his kingdom is, and God says, well, you need to reverence my name. You need to keep my name holy. You need to be in my kingdom. You need to understand that I'm your ruler. You're to obey what I say. My will must be done. And then for God to say, I will take care of you. You're my child. I'll give you the provisions that you need. And God says, Go on, be warmed and filled, and he does nothing at all. How many of us would say then that God is a great God, and how many would say that God is a big talker? You see, God gives us these things to prove the God that he is. So the Lord's Prayer is actually a model of the actual way that God works. And it's whether you're talking about the thy petitions or the our petitions. He begins with the physical because he can never move you into the spiritual because you have to, be, uh, you have, to have the physical in order to survive. And we have a good example of this in, in the Old Testament. This, this particular aspect of God's working in our lives in that way is demonstrated by the prophet Elijah. You remember how that Elijah was called out by God, and God gave him a very special ministry. And he told Elijah, you need to go prophesy, and you say to King Ahab that it's not going to rain for three years. There's not going to be any rain upon the earth for three years. Now, we know that God was going to do great things with Elijah, but it turns out that Elijah was going to be a victim of his own prophecy because Elijah had to live in that land where there was no rain for three years, where there was famine and there was drought. And in order for... Elijah, to get to the place that God was going to use him, he had to bring him through that adverse circumstance. And so we read that God took Elijah into the wilderness and he put him down beside a brook. And there was Elijah. He wasn't a farmer. He didn't have a job. He didn't have any source of income. And so what God did was to cause the ravens to come morning and evening and give him bread and flesh to eat. And there was Elijah sitting by the brook, but it wasn't long When the drought was upon the land, there was no rain that the brook began to dry up. Now God has to have something else for Elijah to do to be taken care of. And so he sent him over to the widow of Zarephath. And she's the one who began to feed him. 
And the point of that is that Elijah would never have been able to do that greatest miracle, or that, that greatest thing that happened in his life, which was when he went up on Mount Carmel, and he built that altar, and he called down fire from God out of heaven. Elijah never would have been able to kill all the prophets of Baal and do that great miracle if God had not provided for him physically. He can't do it if he's dead. So we look at these our petitions, and we say they do start off with the material, because you can't do your spiritual work until provision has been made for the physical. Now, I want to show you also, or notice how the sequence, or what the sequence is like, of the timing of the things that we receive. We receive from God daily, and Jesus instructs us to pray for our daily bread because daily equals dependence. He says, ask for this daily so that you will depend upon God. Now, do you know what would happen if God just decided that when you got saved, he's going to drop everything that you need for the rest of your life on you all at one time? You would see that, and you would say, how God has so marvelously supplied And you would stand in awe and amazement at that. And you would look at that. And you begin to live out of that storehouse day after day. But it wouldn't be long before you forget where it all came from. You're just living out of the storehouse. And you've forgotten all about the great God who gave it. Folks, I'm telling you what I think is that's what's happened with America. God gave us so much up front. And we've enjoyed things for so long that we started to push God out of our society. And now we think that what we have, it just comes to us automatically. God has no involvement in it. And I think that perhaps if we were humbled once again to where we saw soup lines in the streets, and when we saw uh, there's no money to buy things that we need, and factories are closing, and the jobs keep drying up, maybe that's what God needs to do to us to bring us to our knees and realize once again that America is great because of what God has given us, not because of what we've done for ourselves. So Jesus taught the people to pray daily for their needs. And the people of his time understood that very well. They didn't have stores, supermarkets, and all the things that we have today. And so they truly did thank God for every meal that they received. Daily is what teaches us to have faith in God. Now, I told you a few minutes ago, I wanted you to keep in mind Deuteronomy chapter 8, the passage that we read for the congregational reading. And in that passage, it talked a little bit about manna that God sent down from heaven. And God did that on a daily basis. He didn't allow the Israelites to go out there and gather everything that they needed for a a week or a month or for a year. But instead, God said, you have to go out there and you have to gather it every day. You can't hoard it up. You can't bring it into your house and keep it until the next day. Only one time that would work, and that was on the Sabbath. But all the rest of the week, they had to go out there every single day to pick up the manna. And I can suppose that they went out there on, on the uh, second day and they thought, well, the manna may not be here. But there it was, just like God promised. On the third day, before they got up, they're wondering, is the manna going to be there? And they went out and it was there. On the fourth day, they wonder, I wonder if manna's going to be here like it was on day one, two, and three. And they go out there and there's the manna, just like God said. And so eventually it came to the place that they understood God is taking care of our needs. God is preparing, has has prepared this for us. God is taking care of us. Now, do you see another piece of God's wisdom in that? Because if God piled everything down, down on us at once, we would be slack to come to God in fellowship. 
It's just like the son that was given all of his inheritance at once. And so he decided to go out and, and live it all up. And he lived out of that inheritance. And he never came back to see his father until when? Until everything was gone. When he had no hope, when he had nothing that he could get from anywhere. Actually, remember, he ends up in a pig pen eating the husk that the swine would eat. And so after all of that, that's when he went back to his father to receive provision from him again. And that is exactly the way that every Christian would be if God just threw everything down on us at once. So God has designed it this way, that we need to come to him in prayer. We need to ask for our daily needs because that keeps up the fellowship that we have with God. And every time that you are in fellowship with God, coming and talking to him, asking him for what you need, their God is strengthening that relationship, teaching you to depend upon him. And every time that you commune with God, the spiritual man is blessed. You can't do away with that piece of this. You must come to God on a daily basis. Now, that brings me then to the third meaning that's found in this Our Petition. Uh, This is a petition that's made to God because he is the source The sequence here is very important because God knows that we must survive in order to accomplish the spiritual work that he's planned for us to do. Those are important. But thirdly, lest we forget this, this petition does also include the spiritual resources. In this petition, give us this day our daily bread. We think mostly of physical. We think of material resources. Now, before we leave that, unless you don't understand this, when the Bible talks about bread in this way, it's not talking just about the food that you eat, but it's also speaking of all physical things that you need. That would be your shelter and your clothing. God takes care of all that as well as your food. So God is the supplier of all material needs. But Jesus actually expanded that word bread, and he took it to another level. So take your Bible now and turn over to John chapter 6, and we're going to see how that Jesus takes the meaning of bread to a higher level. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned to you the feeding of the 5,000, and one of the reasons that there were so many people that followed Jesus and just went around from place to place where he went was because they could get some free meals from him. They followed him around to get food. So in this chapter, uh, they came looking for Jesus, and he knew exactly why they were searching for him so hard. And so they went to the location where he had previously passed out food, and they couldn't find him. Then there were others that came from Tiberias, and they were looking for Jesus as well. They couldn't find him. So all of these people got into ships. They got on the Sea of Galilee, and they sailed across to Capernaum, hoping that they could find Jesus. And when they got there, they found Jesus was there. But Jesus looked right through them. He knew right uh, what was in their hearts. And he knew that they weren't actually looking for righteousness, not the righteousness of faith that they could have. They weren't looking for truth in his teachings, but they were looking for another free meal. Now notice verse number 25 in John 6. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat or the food which perisheth, but for that meat, food which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man uh, shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Here we see that Jesus is taking this to another level. Yes, you do need food in your belly and you do need to survive, but God is not interested in your survival just for your survival. God is interested in the way that your life can bring glory to him. 
And so you can gorge yourself on food, and if you live to eat, then your God becomes your belly. And so what's better than that? Well, what's better is that we must feast by faith. That's much more important. Now look at verse number 28 in chapter 6. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now there Jesus is talking about faith. Verse 30, They said therefore unto him, What sign showest us thou then that we may see and believe, and what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now here these guys are still looking at the same old thing. The idea is to get their bellies full. So they say, Jesus, if we believe you, then why don't you just do another miracle? Why don't you do the same thing that Moses did and bring down manna from heaven? And so they weren't really interested in faith. They wanted some proof, and some very convenient proof, by the way, because if they get this proof, once again their bellies get filled. Verse 32, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And there is Jesus taking this to the spiritual level. Jesus has the only food that will sustain eternal life. Now, physical bread will only get you so far, but if you want to live forever, you have to feast on Jesus by faith. And when you feast on him, he satisfies every spiritual hunger, and he takes away every thirst of dissatisfaction. But these people really didn't get that. They're still thinking on the physical level. And so they turned this whole discourse in John chapter 6 into a discussion about literally eating Christ's flesh and drinking his blood. That's their huge mistake. They thought that Christ would say, come over here and take a hunk out of me and drink my blood. You can eat me and drink me and then you'll have that spiritual life. And folks, do you know that religion is still doing the very same thing today? They misunderstand that. Now, the Pharisees, they thought that some kind of good work would admit them into heaven. And so this physical thing of taking of Christ's flesh and eating of that and drinking of his blood, that would get them into heaven. And there are people that still think the very same thing today. Because every time that a priest holds up a wafer and consecrates it, and he holds up a glass of wine and consecrates that, and then tells people that you can eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ's blood, he's no different from the Pharisees. And the whole misunderstanding that they had of what Jesus taught in John 6. You see, it's no different from the error of the Jews, and they still refuse to trust Christ. Here, Jesus is talking about a faith issue. He's not talking about a physical thing. And he said, if you want to be children of God, you must receive me by faith. So do you see here how this petition takes care of the spiritual as well as the physical? Every provision that you need for spiritual life, everything that you need to have fellowship with God is provided by Jesus Christ. And you are not going to reach God on any level without Jesus. Now, let me show you just one more aspect of this, and we'll be through. This prayer contains a very important element that we can't overlook. Now, thus far, I've been explaining to you how the model prayer is a way for you to get in touch with God. It's a way to have personal prayers answered. 
But there's something else that we see here. I mean, you have to have all these things. There's the relationship, the reverence, the rule, the rapport, the resources. All of that is needed in order to strengthen your prayers. But we must not forget this, that prayer is not singular. For a Christian, it is never, let me see what I can get out of this. Let me see what I can get and let the rest of the world go to hell. I just want to be sure that I'm taken care of. And there's one little word here, actually two in this phrase, that's all about not us or the individual, but about the Christian community. Now, notice what he says. It's the word our and the word us. He says, our Father, and give us our daily bread. And so the spiritual resource of prayer will help you to understand this, that you must grow in grace. Now, you to, you, do you know how to tell when a person is really growing in grace? And when I say this, it seems like a paradox because when we talk about things growing, we're usually thinking about things getting bigger. But when a person is growing great in grace, he is actually getting smaller. And I mean he gets smaller because the focus goes off self and the focus becomes others. We become smaller and others become bigger. Give us this day our daily bread means that you're not just concerned about yourself, but you've moved beyond that selfishness. Now, what Jesus is teaching here is really a dagger into the heart of Phariseeism because their whole problem in the religious system was top to bottom was self. They prayed in such a way that they always drew attention to self. And you remember how Jesus talked about that in the, in the earlier verses of chapter 6. And then we think about that self-righteous prayer that the Pharisee prayed in Luke chapter 18. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. There's no us in that prayer. It's me and it's them. It's what I am and here's what they are. And so do you see how Jesus shuts that self-righteous attitude down? And he does it with just two little words. Us, an hour in the model prayer. Give us our daily bread. Now that is actually a statement about loving others. It's not give me my daily bread. You see, you can actually get your daily bread without praying for me. You don't have to say, give me. Because when you say, give us, you get yours because you are also in the community of believers that is blessed. And isn't that what you desire? I mean, is there a Christian who differs from Christ in this way? Who did Christ give his life for? He didn't give it for himself. He gave it for others. And did you also know that when you begin to pray for the welfare of others, that their blessings may very well become your blessings? God may bless someone else just so they can bless you. I mean, how many times have we seen it happen in our church that there is a person who has a need, and God blesses another member of the church, and that person says, I will help you. You receive your blessings many time because, times because God has blessed someone else. Now, it helps us to understand a whole lot better why Jesus said things like, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said those kinds of things because he knew that if you did that, that someday it's going to come back to you. Someday you're going to receive the benefit yourself of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul echoed the very same words of Matthew 6.11 in, book, in the book of Philippians. 
Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, he said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, do you see how masterful that this prayer really is? Everything that you read in Scripture fits together. And when Jesus included those two little words, us and ours, there he was laying a foundation for the truth of what Paul would say in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And as we go through this prayer, have you realized how many marvelous truths are brought out in such short statements? It only took 66 words for Jesus to say this, but in those 66 words, he actually outlined the entire Bible. Only Jesus could do that. So what do we ask for? Now, it's important that we understand every word of the prayer. And so when we come down to the hour petitions, what is it that we ask for? Do we ask for wealth and superabundance and, and focus all on ourselves? You remember what Solomon prayed for? Solomon prayed for his greatest need. God had chosen him to be the leader of the people, and instead of Solomon praying for wealth, Solomon asked for wisdom. He said, show me how to lead these people. And God was so pleased with that request. That was a request not for Solomon in one sense it was, but it was a request for the entire people, that they would be blessed by God, that he would have the wisdom to lead them so they could be blessed by God. And so God was so pleased with that, with that request that he added wealth to Solomon that he couldn't even imagine so much. So what do we pray for? Well, I think if you ask for wealth, you probably are not going to get it. If you ask for all of your needs to be supplied and all of the needs of God's people to be supplied, you'll be in the company and you'll get what you need. God will take care of you. Now, as usual, I need to ask a question before I close the message today. Do you know Jesus? Have you tasted of this bread of life that we're talking about? Have you actually drunk of the fountain of life that Jesus provides? There's a song that we sing that says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I don't promise you today material wealth. I don't promise that you'll have a life without troubles. I do not promise that you'll have good favor from every neighbor on your block. I've heard that said so many times, and if a preacher promises you those things, you run as far away from that guy as you can get. But I can promise you this, that if you trust Christ as Savior, if he is your Lord, your basic needs will be met, and you will receive peace in all of your troubles, and you will have the favor of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. These are our resources in prayer. God is our provider. And so we go to him and ask him for what we need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the great truths that are found here, truths that are so profound that we can't even untangle them all to see how they work in such marvelous ways. Your, your word just fits together so perfectly. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people, that you would draw our hearts close to you. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as Savior, that right now that they would have this understanding, they would understand that you are the Lord, which means that you are the almighty provider, you are God, 
You are the one that we are to bow down to and to serve. I ask you, Lord, that you would open someone's heart to that truth today. And we pray, Lord, for those who are Christians and they've been anxious, worried about things, economy's got them down. Just let them know that God sees all of this. God has never left his throne. God has never abandoned us. We just thank you that you are our provider. May we give you the thanks that you truly deserve. Lord, bless in this time that we sing, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.